everyone. Welcome to Get to the Point podcast. Everybody's doing well. We are on a Wednesday following the conclusion of the 2021 Major League Baseball season. We have a new World Series champion, which we'll dive into today. The game, the series, and you know, the improbable way of, of the Atlanta Braves uh, capturing their first words, uh, World Series title in 26 years. Um, I'm angry about something. Uh, and no surprise there, but it's about college football. Uh, the first rankings came out last night from the college football playoff committee. I like one of the teams that made it that I'm surprised. I hate another, I hate another team that did not get in and, um, we'll dive into that, the ranking system and just frustration for me today on how this has gone down. We'll dive into that. Also touch on some COVID news uh, across the world of sports. Uh, two, two of the biggest names in hockey and in football have tested positive for COVID that will put them out of, uh, out of action for a while, including a big matchup this weekend. So we'll touch on that. Also touch on the Leafs win last night against Vegas. Um, Vancouver's comeback win against New York. Uh, watched a couple periods of that. Caught the third this morning. Impressive, impressive comeback from Vancouver. You know, what, both their acquisitions and trade have not been the problem. I'll dive into that as well. Uh, Calgary loses to Nashville. So a lot to get into to, uh, today. Also uh, touch on some, some uh, NBA as well, including a big story come out of Boston where I don't know what's going to be a great season for the Celtics. And I said with Harry last week, I think they could miss the playoffs. And I'm only becoming more and more convinced that they will as the season starts to as we start to get into the seasons, there's seven games into, into this new season. Um, also, later tonight, I'll be uh, podcasting with Walker Campbell. We'll talk about week nine in the NFL. Uh, you know, normally you see Jets, Colts, Thursday night football tomorrow. That's kind of a dud of a game. Well, Mike White wins his first start for the Jets against the Bengals. I'm actually intrigued to see how he's going to play. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the, the COVID news. Um, the big games of the week, um, the best teams in the NFC, because that's where all the best teams are. Uh, and we'll, we'll just go through the, the NFL landscape. So we'll do that tonight as well. Um, but let's start with, with baseball. This, this 2021 season, the campaign has come to an end. And, you know, the Atlanta Braves, to their credit, win the World Series. And this story is, is a great one, but of course I like to toot my own horn. If you want to make some money, you could have listened to me and put Braves in six games and the Braves won in six games. But this world series is about this win. This narrative is about perseverance. It's about overcoming obstacles. And you could say that you could say, well, that happens to every world series team. Well, Sure, but I disagree because the Dodgers had still had Clayton Kershaw, still had Walker Bueller, still had elite pitching last year, still had great bats, Mookie Betts, you name it. The best player on the Atlanta Braves, and I believe this still to this day, is Ronald Acuna Jr. And they did not have Ronald Acuna Jr. available for the World Series. Meaning that he was not, he couldn't play. He tore his ACL in July. He hasn't played since mid-July. Marcelo Zuna, a guy who's got a potent bat, 
can hit it out of the park, has not played since May dealing with a, a domestic violence incident. Mike Soroka, the Canadian, did not pitch this season because he tore his Achilles for the second time in two seasons. And yet, this team overcame those obstacles. They overcame it only an 88-win regular season. Very lackluster by most standards. But what the Braves proved is that you don't need to be an elite team in the regular season. You don't need to be the Dodgers, who won 106 games, or the Giants, who won 107. You get into the dance, you catch fire, you can win the World Series. It doesn't have to be the odds-on favorite. The Houston Astros were favorite to win the World Series starting against the Braves. They didn't win. And, you know, you can you got to look at so many players, but I also, I look at Alex Anthopoulos, the general manager, the former GM of the Toronto Blue Jays. Alex is a great baseball mind. He's a great interview. I know he's going to be on overdrive today. Um, yeah, it's, I, I always like hearing Alex because he's a GM that gives you insight that's real. And another thing I truly appreciate about him, and I think Sam Sneed, the, um, the, um, um, the uh, GM for the Los Angeles Rams, has a similar philosophy. He's willing to put his chips into the middle of the table. If he has pocket aces, he's going all in. He's not worried about what's coming. He's saying, you know what? I have a great hand. Let's see what happens. He did that in Toronto when he acquired David Price, when he got um, Troy Tulowitzki, when he Marcus Stroman came back from Duke and pitched well, when he made those additions trading for Josh Donaldson, he was always pedal to the metal. He was not a guy that saw a yellow light. He was always the green light. Well, you lose Acuna Jr., your centerpiece, your best player. You lose a pitcher who was up for MVP in his rookie season. Up for the Cy Young. That tells you how good this guy's been. So that's a lot of hurdles. But you look, Max Fried, really good young pitcher, struggled the whole postseason, goes six clean innings last night allows two base runners in the first inning gets them to ground out into a double play that happened twice last night for Max Fried he was in control he had it Ian Anderson he's got control issues he doesn't always hit the strike zone but what did he do in this series when he had his opportunity to pitch he pitched well he won his start that's all that really matters and again, you overcome Charlie Morton, the veteran who you went out and got from the, from the Rays because you said, well, we could win a World Series here. He breaks his leg in game one. You have to throw two bullpen games in games four and five, and you win one of them. And you had a 4 nothing lead in the other. But it wasn't just that they had their players, but for Anthopolis. He goes out and acquires Eddie Rosario, who hit over 300 for the postseason, who had 12 RBIs. They acquired Rosario. He was on the injured list. That's a risk in and of itself. But Anthopolis had the wherewithal 
knew the player and said, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. Got Adam Duvall, who's bounced around, played in Cleveland, played for um, played for Cincinnati, and he comes in and was a made big hits when he had to, including a grand slam in Game Five, hit key home runs, but his defensive outfielding was pivotal as well, making some very tough catches in key situations. And then there's Jorge Soler. The former World Series champion with the Chicago uh, with the Chicago Cubs in 2016, he played a small role, but he wins World Series MVP. And earlier this season, when he was acquired, he was batting 167. What did he do for the postseason? Bats over 300, and in the World Series, he hits three home runs, including two. That won ball games. Game four, bottom of the seventh, solo shot. They win the game 3-2. Last night, bottom of the third, 3-2 pitch, two outs. Jorge Soler crushes it literally out of Minute Maid Park. And effectively, his celebration alongside Max Fried, the game was over. Corey Soler also did something that's never been done in the 117 World Series. He homered to lead off the World Series. The first batter in the first 116 World Series did not hit a home run, which is pretty hard to believe. Jorge Soler did that. But again, a guy that didn't have a lot of cachet. He doesn't have a lot of name, you know, notoriety. But Anthopolis picked the right people. He could have fired Brian Snicker after last year. We heard it after the Braves up 3-1 to the Dodgers. And they choked it away. People were calling for Brian Snicker's job. He didn't do that. He kept Brian Snicker on. And he looks good for it today because Snicker is a World Series champion alongside Alex Anthopoulos. And I, I just trusted the Braves. If they got a lead, they're going to win most of the games. Game five was standing. You look at the pen that they go to, where AJ Minter was pretty solid all piece all, all postseason long. Tyler Matzik threw two innings last night, shut out baseball, only allowed one hit, four strikeouts. The guy was phenomenal. All put in that whole role, he was dominant. And then Will Smith goes seven for seven on save opportunities in the postseason. That's pretty damn clutch. And it was just a fairy tale run. You look on the other side, Correa, Altuve, Bregman, and yet they couldn't even score a run last night where the Braves put up seven and it was over. So Solaire hits a three run shot. Then, top of the fifth, Albies walks, Dansby Swanson hits a two run homer. Then, Freeman doubles. Bring uh, Solaire walks, Freeman doubles, brings him in, and Freeman hits a solo shot himself. And another good moment for Freddie Freeman, a Canadian first baseman, the National League MVP last season, 12 years playing in Atlanta. He finally gets his championship. You know, a great moment for him, I'm sure, just to, to get that recognition, to get that World Series. And you know, they're going to have their party on Friday. They're, they're going to have their parade. They'll celebrate. 
And after seeing this win, you know, Rosario's a free agent. Soler's a free agent. Adam Duvall is a free agent. It's likely that all three of these guys could be gone because they're not, they're not exactly bats that are key all 162 because they're not that consistent. None of them were that great this year. That's why they were available, but they were good in the big moments. And for, for the Astros, Dusty Baker, for him to get to a World Series with this team, for this team to get to a World Series, it doesn't shake off the stench of 2017 when they were caught cheating, using the garbage cans, tipping pitches. But they've gotten to three World Series in five years. It just tells you something about this club, that they're legit. They're really good. And, you know, Altuve is an all-time great, as is Correa. Bregman, not so much, but these two are will go down as greats in the game of baseball. I wouldn't be shocked if they don't get into the Hall of Fame, which I'm I completely support because of the cheating scandal. But at the same time, they could very well get in as well because if they continue to get to the playoffs, get hits, they'll definitely be considered. But this series is over now. Season's over. We saw a trade today where Cincinnati flipped their catcher, Tucker Barnhart, to the Detroit Tigers. So movement's going to happen. We may see a strike where there's no baseball come April, which is a worst-case scenario. But you also look at these two teams, and they could be vastly different come opening day. And just even before they lose players, I'd be shocked if either one of these two teams are even in the top three for betting favorites to win the World Series next year. Because you know the Dodgers will be one. That's just easy. That, that's just how it works. If you see a big splash in free agency, that team will be high. And then there's always the Yankees. The Yankees, even with their lineup that struggles, it hasn't won a World Series since 09, still finds a way to be at the top of the betting, you know, odds to win the championship. But you look at Houston. You lose the World Series. It's a tough way to go out. Justin Verlander will be back next season off Tommy John at some point. So that's a positive. You need to look to upgrade your pitching staff because I think it was proven that they didn't have enough good starting pitchers. Graveman was great in the pen. And the guys they had at the back end of the rotate at the back end of the bullpen were great, but their starters just didn't give them enough length. Framper Valdez had a had a tough had a tough postseason, really, and that killed them. But Carlos Correa, who's one of the best postseason, you know, runners and scoring position hitters of all time, is a free agent. He's an elite shortstop, and he's he's free. And, you know, George Springer left Houston. Like, a lot of that had to do with money, for sure. But also, I think, I think uh, Springer wanted to get out of the shadow of Houston, all the negativity that was pointed towards them he won the world series mvp so you could argue springer benefited from the cheating more than anybody but correa's always been a big fan of the organization but this guy you you hit it once in baseball he's a free agent he's a stud player he's gonna want to make it rain he's gonna want to take in a large check and i wouldn't be surprised to see this player get north of 200 million dollars Again, you're playing shortstop. It's a it's a great position. And all, I think if you're Houston, you want to bring him back. You want to keep Altuve. You want to keep Correa, no doubt, and improve some pitching. Because this team, to me, is not done yet. Their, their window to win a championship is not you know, 
permanently closed yet. You need this organization to improve it. But you saw them this year, they got Grayman at the trade deadline. He was a great ad. You know, Guriel is still a very good player. Um, you know, their outfield could improve. I, I, Brantley still has game. Kyle Tucker is a stud. So they still have bats. I think pitching is where you want it. But Correa, losing Correa would, would cause a big hole at short. And it's one that you'd have to try to cover up. And that's not an easy thing to do. So if Correa leaves Houston, obviously Houston, we have a problem. But where would he go? Um, you know, I'm sure we'll hear the rumor Correa to the Yankees. I know he's talked about loving New York, being a Yankee fan. Um, he doesn't have a connection. Obviously, he's, he's a he's a player that grew up in the Dominican Republic. But to play for the Yankees, play shortstop, that would, I'm sure that's something that would interest him. You know, uh, they got DJ LeMahieu playing second, but he's been banged up the past couple of years. Correa plays short in New York. I think that's a potential option. Um the, it's not going to be the Dodgers. So that's, that's refreshing that it won't be that you won't go to the Dodgers. They just have, you know, Turner, they have um, Corey Seager, who's a free agent. He's another guy that's going to be free. Maybe you swap pieces there, but Seager, I don't know if the, the Dodgers are already spending a lot of money. I don't know if they're going to bring um, him back. They could just put Trey Turner at second base, then make some adjustments, potentially play Max Muncy in the field and not at the one bag quite so often. So, but I think Correa, you look, Tatis is a guy in San Diego that is a shortstop, but he started to play outfield this season because of his shoulder problems. You know, if you move, if you move him to, to right field, can Correa play at short? You know, Bob Melvin's the new manager. They made that move. Uh, he departed Oakland after nearly a decade to go to San Diego Again, that wouldn't be my top priority. Pitching would definitely be in San Diego because it just blew up down the stretch for them. But I think San Diego is a team that's you know quite pissed off that they didn't win this season. So I think they'd look to upgrade that position. But you look at a, a lot of the playoffs teams this year. Chicago, the White Sox are not going to upgrade that position. Tim Anderson is there. He's you know he's very good uh, defensively. He's got a he's got a good bat as well. Um, the cup the Cubs are rebuilding. Um. Other other playoff teams potentially. I mean, the Mets, the Mets could be a landing spot for Correa. Uh, Francisco Lindor, to me, he's more of a second baseman. You can play Correa at short now that um, you know that Javi Baez is going to leave. So could you fit them into your structure? Potentially, that maybe Correa becomes a Met again. Rumored about the Yankees, potentially the Mets. So there's that. But then for Atlanta, I mentioned all the, you know, the guys that they acquired uh, at the deadline, but Freddie Freeman, who former National League MVP, one of the best players in the game, is also a free agent. Been in Atlanta 12 years, but he's free. And after him winning an MVP, then winning a World Series, including getting two RBIs in the clinching game, Freddie Freeman's not going to take chump change to stay. I, I think it's pivotal that they get him back because I think this team can compete to represent the, the National League in the World Series again next year. You know, we said um, two years ago when the Dodgers beat Atlanta that these two teams could be battling in the CS for years to come. Well, they have back-to-back years. Dodgers, they have some, you know, is Kershaw healthy enough to keep playing? Is Trevor Bauer going to come back? What, what do they do with their lineup? 
Atlanta, same thing. Acuna will be back. You know that. They they got um, Ozzie Albies. They got Dansby Swanson. So their infield is good, but you lose Freddie Freeman, who's just a consistent bat. You know he's batting second or third in the lineup. That's a massive hole that they need to cover up, and they're not going to be able to with the guys on the market. It's not like you can switch um, Freddie Freeman with Jose Abreu, the White Sox. You know, I, I still think Freeman's a better player, but Abreu has also won an MVP award, and, you know, he's he's got a great bat as well. But for Atlanta, you can tinker, but you know that you're going to have Freed and you're going to have Anderson next season. Hopefully, you know, if Charlie Morton wants to play baseball, he's always rumored about retiring. But, you know, he – do you want your last start to be, you know, a broken leg, you know, to be that comebacker that – that broke your leg. I mean, you have won the world series would be a great way to go out, but I wouldn't be shocked, shocked if Anthopolis says Morton, if you want to play, if you want to continue playing, you might as well do it here in Atlanta. Let's try to win another chip. You can be on the mound when we win it next time. So baseball is always, always interesting. Um, well, you know, I know Trevor story is a free agent for the Colorado Rockies. He's a shortstop that I'm sure will, will draw some interest with a big power bat. We'll dive into all that down the road, but congrats to the Atlanta Braves on winning their first uh, World Series in 26 years. And, you know, a really entertaining series between Atlanta and Houston that I don't think many people saw coming when this, uh, when this started. College football. I love college football, as you all know. It, college football is so complicated for a variety of reasons. And I'll start with this. In the NFL, you don't need to have style points for a victory. And what I mean is the Kansas City Chiefs beat the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. It was not an impressive victory, but they won the game. They improved to 4-4. Four and four. Now, you can be undefeated in college football. And this might sound crazy when I say it, but Trust me, it's true. You, you can be undefeated, but if you win by a slim margin, one to two runs, that win is significantly lessened and people look at you like, well, are they really that good of a team? Is that They played Navy and they only won by seven points. Are they that good? They struggled to beat Tulane, a one and seven football team. This doesn't matter in the NFL. If the Cincinnati Bengals make the playoffs, if the Tennessee Titans make the playoffs, they'll both have a loss to the New York Jets on their resume. But that will be completely pushed to the side. Now, in college football, it's different because you can play the whole season. And you know what? It's nice to play a bowl game when you get asked to compete in a bowl game. And it's around Christmas time and it's all kinds of fun. However, it's when you play in one of these bowl games, it's just about money. Sometimes it's a final uh, spotlight for these kids before they get to the uh, NFL draft in late April, but it's really quite meaningless. The only two bowl games that matter are the college football playoff semifinals. And the top four teams are not necessarily placed on merit, but by on the discrepancy, of the college football playoff committee. There's a group of people that get together. They talk about all these teams and they rank them. And for the first time this season yesterday, 
the college football playoff committee had their rankings. Now we see the, you know, a, uh, Associated Press where they do their rankings each week prior to this one. But now every Tuesday night, the college football playoff committee will rank teams. They watch every week and it's set. Now heading into last night, I believe the final four should have been number one, Georgia. Georgia's undefeated. They've beaten Texas A&M. They've beaten Florida. They demolished um, Ole Miss. They, they've um, put, put a beat down on, on Mississippi State. I mean, they, they're just, they have one of the best fronts, defensive fronts, in the past decade in college football. They are elite, elite. And, you know, they beat Kentucky as well, who are a really good team this year. So they are, they'd be Arkansas when Arkansas really looked good. So Georgia, easy number one for me. Number two, for me, and this is just based on teams who I think are the best, I would have had Michigan State number two. The Michigan State Spartans are 8-0, and they don't play in the Pac-12. They don't play in the Power – they play in the Power Five. They're a Big Ten school. And what they did last week against Michigan – being down 16 points late in the third quarter and coming back and beating Jim Harbaugh's team was incredibly impressive. Getting an interception late, overcoming two interceptions in, in the first quarter by Peyton Thorne. And they have one, I think, the Heisman front runner at this point, Kenneth Walker Jr., the third, who had five rushing touchdowns on the day. So Michigan State, who under Mel Tucker, they, they have a fantastic team. They play hard, and they're, they've had good competition. So Michigan State deserves respect. Number three for me, I would have had Cincinnati, the Bearcats. Now, this is the one I'll dive into and be pissed off. Again, this is just my list. The Cincinnati Bearcats are not a Power 5 school. They're not in the Big Ten. They're not in the Big 12. They're not SEC. They're not the ACC. However, Cincinnati, over the last two seasons, has lost one game. That game was a bowl game to Georgia last year, where they should have won it. Desmond Ritter got picked late, and Georgia ended up winning it. And you look a year later, Georgia is the number one team in the nation. So strength of schedule, I get teams change, but Desmond Ritter is still the quarterback. Stetson Bennett's still the quarterback. Georgia has a lot of returning players, yet that doesn't get recognized. But what did Cincinnati do this year? They're 8-0. And not only are they 8-0, they beat Notre Dame in Notre Dame. They went to the stadium. And defeated a very prestigious school. And for people that put down Notre Dame, well, the college football playoff committee loves Notre Dame because they've been in the college football playoff two of the last three seasons. So you talk strength of schedule, you talk about impressive victories. They've beaten a school that the committee loves. So Cincinnati's an easy one for me. Then four. This is get this word gets tough because Oklahoma's undefeated. 
And normally you say, okay, well, Oklahoma should be in there. They're undefeated. That's normally my, how I look at things. And that's normally how, how I approach it. And that's exactly what I did. If you're undefeated, you're undefeated. And Alabama was not going to be fourth for me. Because Alabama lost to Texas A&M. And at the time they lost to Texas A&M, Texas A&M was not ranked. And when does Nick Saban lose to Texas A&M? Oh, wait, never. The one quarterback who had beaten Nick Saban from Texas A&M is Johnny Manziel, whom I love. But I, could, I had to put Oklahoma. And to me, they've been really impressive over the last couple weeks with Caleb Williams. Since switching from Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams is one of the best players in college football, bar none. The quarterback... The true freshman is balling out. Kennedy Brooks, Marvin Mims, Hazelwood on the outside. Again, there are big 12 schools. Their defense leaves you something to be desired. But again, they haven't lost a game yet. You can only play who's on your schedule. So to reiterate, I would have had Georgia, Michigan State, Cincinnati, Oklahoma. And I'll reiterate this. Georgia undefeated Michigan State undefeated Cincinnati undefeated Oklahoma undefeated so why am I fired what what did we get let's start off number one we got Georgia number one thank you college football player for me that's the easiest decision yet I'm sure they want to put Alabama one but Georgia's the best team in the nation if you listen to the podcast you've heard me say this for four or five weeks now it's not even close. They're on a collision course to play Alabama in the SEC championship game. I think they're going to beat Alabama, even with lackluster quarterback play from Stetson Bennett or you know whoever else is that quarterback for Georgia. Their defense is that good, and Bryce Young has just been eh, so far for, for Alabama. So Georgia's number one. Number two is Alabama. <sighs> Okay, Alabama may be a great school, which they are. They have great players, of course. But if they had lost to Georgia, I get it. Because you lost the best team. They haven't played Georgia yet. They'll only meet them in the SEC championship game. If they would have lost to a Michigan State or a Cincinnati or a team at the top of this list, I can entertain it. But they lost to Texas A&M, who was unranked. I don't care if you're playing on the road. I don't care if Texas A&M is a rival. You're playing a school that's unranked, and then you're saying, well, their strength of schedule is tough. Well, their strength of schedule at the time of the loss was not, because they were not in the top 25. So that's not a good loss on your resume. It just isn't. And there's this... There's this notion, there's this stigma that, well, if you lose to an SEC school, it's a good loss. That's how it's some years. Yeah, I totally agree. When Florida is really good last year with Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and Canarius Tony. Yes, I can. I, I get it. But this year, losing to Texas A&M, losing to the best loss you could have had in this other than Georgia. 
would have been Ole Miss. Because Florida stinks. Texas A&M is not a good team. Maybe Auburn. But at the same time, Auburn is just, they're there. Ole Miss would have been the best school to lose to. But Alabama's ranked number two after getting a, a loss like that. Number three, Michigan State. They should have been two. I'm happily surprised they're on the list because if you've listened to Matt, me and Matt Wright last season, what this, what this committee loves to do, and I get it, it's a television product, and I always talk about having the most entertaining thing on the screen. But Notre Dame has been two of the last three semifinals, and they've got blown out both times. And so Cincinnati can't get an opportunity. None of these schools can get an opportunity. Ohio State has to be involved. It's just a flawed system. The best teams. But I'm happy Michigan State's in. Now, they control their own destiny. They play Penn State down the stretch. They play Ohio State at the shoe. That's going to be a very tough game. Ohio State is a good team. I'm not putting them down. But Michigan State deserves to be three at this point. They don't have a loss. They beat Michigan, like, like I mentioned. So that brings us to number four. To me, it's simple. Put Cincinnati. I had them three, put them four. Fine. They don't have a good strength of schedule. And they're not that tough, whatever. Number four is Oregon. I don't want to pick on Oregon here. More than honestly, Alabama the one is the one that pisses me off the worst because Oregon has one loss. That is true, and it wasn't a great loss. However, they beat Ohio State at the shoe. That's an impressive victory. Alabama, they beaten Florida. They nearly lost them. They're a two-point conversion away from going to overtime. They Who have they beaten that's any good? I mean, just to go back through this Alabama schedule that is just murderer's row, I guess, which it isn't, but they want to make it seem like Alabama's been put through the ringer, that they've had this really tough schedule. I mean, they beat Tennessee unranked. Way to go. Give you a cupcake for that one. Um, Alabama beat Mississippi State, not ranked, way to go. I'm just going through their season so far. They lost to Texas A&M. Yeah, not ranked at the time, as I mentioned. They beat Ole Miss. That's an impressive win. I'll give you that. Not as impressive as the win against Ohio State, though, who were ranked in the top three at the time of the loss. See who else they beat, Murderers Row. Southern Miss. Yeah, Southern Miss is a real tough school. Yeah, they're known for football. They're known for excellence. Beat Florida by two points. I mentioned in week three, Florida not ranked now. They beat Mercer. I don't even know where the hell Mercer is. And they beat Miami. uh, They beat the U week one. The Notre Dame win by Cincinnati. The Oregon win are both more impressive. So if you don't have Oklahoma, I'll live with that because Oklahoma hasn't looked good. But if you're going to put Oregon in, which shocks me because this 
committee hates the Pac-12. The teams that play out the West Coast, UCLA, USC, Oregon, uh, Utah, they hate these schools. Arizona State, they don't like these schools. They never, Oregon doesn't get any love. But now they do. And honestly, they're getting love because they have no choice. They do not want to put Cincinnati in the top four. And this is how it goes. Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, Oregon. Ohio State is fifth. Cincinnati sixth, undefeated. Ohio State just struggled to beat Penn State, who look to be falling off a cliff right now. And Ohio State gets this much respect? Ohio State is fifth. Cincinnati, then it's Michigan. Michigan should be ranked higher than Ohio State. Ohio State may beat them by 35 in a couple weeks, but Michigan's one loss is to Michigan State, who is ranked higher than Ohio State's only loss, Oregon, who is four. Be consistent. If it's all about strength of schedule, if that's truly what it's about, then be consistent. Michigan lost by a touchdown. That's all they did. Then it's followed by Oklahoma. I'm sure they're pissed off in Norman because you're undefeated in your eighth. Wake Forest is undefeated. Eight, no, they're ninth. Notre Dame, 10, Oak State, Baylor. But this is just such a flawed system. What it already, this is the first rankings. And I know Luke Fickle was on Dan Patrick today. I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to the interview because I hope he's really forward about it. But Cincinnati already has no chance to make the college football playoff. It doesn't, because the rest of their season is not murder's row. The rest of their season is not going to be impressive enough to get in. And it's honestly so upsetting to me that we, we've already decided this. Like, they played Tulsa this week. That gets no respect. But in the AP poll, Cincinnati is number two. Michigan State is five, which is crazy to me. Um, but I, this is just a, a really, really flawed system to me. And I don't understand why you already decided like Cincinnati's not going to get in. They can go undefeated for the second state regular season and not get into the college football playoff. And okay, you want to expand eight teams down the road? Great. But that doesn't mean that a team that deserves to be in the final four shouldn't get in there this year. And you're like, well, just wait for them to, to expand all eight. No. Fuck Ohio State. Fuck Oregon. Fuck Alabama. It's about winning games. If you don't lose, how do you not get in? This just angers me because playing, playing a whole season, doing everything right, not finding a way not to lose in games where you battled, you escaped Tulane, you escaped Navy, who gave you everything you had, and yet you still don't get the recognition you still don't get to compete for a national championship. That's just wrong. And I know I, I know I ran, went on a rant today, but this is just the facts of life that this is just a stupid, stupid, flawed system that shouldn't be happening right now. It shouldn't be this way 
and yet it is. And it's just really disappointing to me to see Luke Fickle's team in Cincinnati not get rewarded, not get acknowledged for what they've done over the last number of seasons, how just consistent they've been, how they play good football, how they got good leadership. Desmond Ritter is a good quarterback. Luke Fickle is a coach that may be coaching USC next year, but he's been great. And it's just, it's just really unfortunate. Um, the past, you know, almost two years now, you know, the main storyline of, of the world has been COVID-19. And you thought, I, at least I thought going into the season that we'd see less COVID cases and boy, was I ever wrong. Uh, so you look throughout the NHL, especially teams have been ravaged with COVID the San Jose sharks, the Winnipeg jets with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. We've seen players, uh, Pittsburgh penguins with Jeff Carter and, you know, a lot of their centers being out with COVID. It's been a constant theme. The NFL has done better with it. Obviously, the Packers lost Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard last week. We have seen some players have to miss games because of positive COVID cases. But we've seen one sport kind of latch on to the other here, where two superstars, two of the best players to ever play these sports, are going to be out for the foreseeable future with positive COVID-19 COVID cases. I'll start with the bigger deal to me, and that would be Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. It was reported today that he has tested positive for COVID-19. He will not be eligible to play this Sunday at Arrowhead against his Kansas City Chiefs. And that means that, you know, second-year quarterback Jordan Love will make his NFL debut. Jordan Love, if you can remember, was selected two years ago, 24th overall, where the Packers traded up. To get Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers was not made aware that they're going to do this. They took him out of Utah State, kind of been a headline ever since. And Aaron Rodgers kind of used that this offseason to talk about why he wanted out of the organization. But Jordan Love will get his opportunity, but this is more than just Rodgers missing one game. You know, the Packers are seven and one. They're battling to get, you know, there's only now in the NFL, there's seven playoff teams. Only one team in each conference gets a bye. So the Packers had that bye last week. The NFC playoffs went through Lambeau Field. This one game where Aaron Rodgers is not available could, be, you know, you look down the road, it could be a, a, you know, a big factor as to why the Packers don't have home field advantage, why they don't have control of their own destiny. They have to go to Dallas. They have to go to Los Angeles later in the playoffs, even though I don't think they have full control because I don't love their roster a ton. But this game had intrigue before because you have Kansas City, who's four and four. They can't afford to lose too many more games. So they catch a huge break with Aaron Rodgers being out. You know, Devontae Adams would have been back. So this is obviously a big break. But it's, this game is still very compelling for me because I want to see Jordan Love play. I watched him take reps in the preseason. But if he is going to be the successor to Aaron Rodgers, you're going to want to see, you know, some of the traits, you know, that while they draft him, he's got a big arm. They talk about him not being accurate enough, but you go to Lambo, you go to uh, Arrowhead Stadium in your first game. You know they're gonna they're at the COVID positive early, so they can start to game plan. You know, start to package plays. You know, specifically for Jordan Love, and it's not a Friday afternoon where they throw tell him, okay, you're starting today. Like, don't panic, but you're you're going in 48 hours. So they, they have time to practice. They have time to work through things, but. This game is interesting because Kansas, Kansas City's not playing good football. Th their offense is non-existent. Patrick Mahomes is checked down Charlie. And 
to be honest, I mean, Jordan Love's making his first start, and they could get blown out. But it wouldn't surprise me to see a competitive game this week. And I truly believe that. I think we could see the Packers still give the Chiefs a run for their money because I don't love the Chiefs on defense, and I don't love the Chiefs team on, on offense. Their whole team is just – they don't have an identity. They don't know what they're doing. They, they don't run the ball effectively. Mahomes is not throwing the ball down the field because they're taking that away from him. So I'm interested to see what happens with Jordan Love, how he looks, and also, you know, Kansas City, this is a huge break. You can't underestimate Jordan Love because he go out and play well and win the game. But it's not Aaron Rodgers, the reigning MVP. And you also need to recognize that and take advantage of it while you can. The other uh, positive COVID case is the pitcher of Penguins captain, Sidney Crosby. He's just working his way back. He's played one game so far this year. Played it Saturday night against New Jersey, where they lost four to two. He, uh, they've been off this week, and he's tested positive for COVID alongside Brian Dumoulin, who I consider their best defenseman. So they're without two regulars now. Pittsburgh for timetable still undetermined. They are home to Philly tomorrow, so he'll be in. They'll be ineligible for that game. Then I believe they play Saturday night as well. So they won't. They got Minnesota on Saturday. So you got to expect that he won't be playing there. So there's another game gone for the two stars. So Sidney Crosby, you know, this is, this is a tough time to, to test positive because he's still working his way back. He had off-season wrist surgery, played one game. Now he has COVID. He's got to sit out. And let's be honest, Pittsburgh is not a team that can afford to, to lose a lot of games here because – I think there's some good teams in the division. It's not as loaded as the Atlantic, but I don't have a whole lot of faith in Pittsburgh. I didn't think they'd make the playoffs. I still don't. So not having Sidney Crosby for an extended period of time where he's going to be in isolation, you know, I assume he still, his fitness is very good at skating, but this does not help. You want to get into the games. You want to get a feel for it. And that's going to be prolonged now. So, Pittsburgh's going to need guys to step up, you know, continue to. On the back end, Latang needs to play well. John Marino, and they need to hope that these guys can hold on and, you know, play well on the stretcher because this is this is obviously a very tough blow for the Penguins as they try to, you know, they ha- they're off to a hot start. They've kind of hit the skids here a little bit. And they, need, they need to try to find their game in a hurry. Um, last evening, um, a lot of Canadian teams hit the ice. You know, a lot of headlines. Uh, one... I always keep track of the Arizona Coyotes. They are the only team in the NHL to not have a win. Carolina is the only team to not have a loss. Arizona has played 10 games. So if you win all 10, that's 20 points. So out of a potential 20 points that they could have earned, they have won after 10 games. That would be a, it was an overtime loss to the Buffalo Sabres. So Arizona is pathetic. Um, I, they really took it down the woodshed. I knew they'd be bad. Buffalo will likely win more than 20 games just because they're off to such a hot start. Arizona might not win 15. And that's honestly the truth. They are that bad. You know, the best thing you can say about them is they have a goalie from the AHL who's played really well. He's not good enough to win. His team can't score. They got Beagle and Erickson and Jacob Chikrin, who had a great start. I think he was on a lot of world junior, you know, people, and people thought about him potentially making – uh, team Canada's Olympic team story, you know, plus minus isn't everything. It's a, it's an archaic stat, as you know, 
But if you watch the games, he gets burnt a lot. His defense pairs against the opposing team's best players, and it doesn't go well. He's a minus 16, and the biggest thing for him is he's an offensive guy. He is doesn't have a point in 10 games. So this team is a mess. It's already over. It's such a long season for them. They are the Baltimore Orioles of the NHL because you know the season's over before the puck even drops. But a team that was facing a lot of criticism, that had fans worried, people yelling at Mitch Marner from TV screens all across the Rexton area, the Toronto Maple Leafs are, have won three straight games. They uh, defeated Chicago last week in a game that they tried to lose. They defeated Detroit in a game Saturday night where they did their best to keep that game really competitive, and it was until the very end. But last night was the best game the Toronto Maple Leafs have played this season, and it wasn't even close. Now, a win's a win, but you also got to remember context. Vegas was without Alex Tuck, without Max Pacioretty, without Mark Stone, without uh, Bill Carlson. A lot of regulars uh, were out of their lineup. They did have Robin Leonard. They did have Petrangelo. They did have Theodore. So they still had good players in their lineup. But last night was less about who wasn't there for Vegas and just what Toronto did as a team. A couple big takeaways for me. They played with speed. I found the first five, six games of the, of, the, of the year, they played tentative. They were afraid to make a mistake. And guess what? They made a lot of them. Justin Hall seemed to want to play with speed, but he'd do it and he'd give the puck to the other team. Well, I thought they made good exit passes out of the zone. They had support. And Toronto plays best when there's little whistles because when they have to stop and start, I don't think they're a very good team at doing that. You saw in the first period, there was only two commercial breaks. That's exactly what, that's the pace Toronto wants to play at. That it's, you know, full, full bloom, so to speak. And you, you just have complete chaos changing on the fly. And you can get, you can uh, expose some matchups where you get Marner out against, you know, a, a, a pair you really like on the back end. Nicholas Hag last night really you know, had a tough night. But so that, that's something you play with speed. Austin Matthews had two goals. That's less of the importance for me. Okay, great. He scored a couple goals. You're, you're one of the best players in the world. You should score goals. I'm not going to give you a, f- a bunch of cookies for finally showing up after two weeks because you've been garbage. But before last night was the Matthews we saw last year. It was Matthews going into corners. It was Matthews. When he lost the puck, he would get it back. You saw that competitive edge. You know, what we've seen so far this year from Matthews is just kind of a peacocker. Where, and what I mean by that is, you know, they'd score, they scored against Chicago and he's all fired up and he's, you know, being kind of a hero on the ice. Well, you did nothing in the game to contribute to it. Against Detroit, he was a garden gnome. Last night, he was all over the puck. That, I, I just liked his competitiveness. He wanted to win puck battles. He took it personally. And that's when he plays at his best is when he's, he's invested. I mean, everybody does, but for him, it seems to be one or the other. He's either completely invested in the games where he, you see him, he works for pucks, he does that, he scores two goals. There's a direct correlation. There's no second gear. I find he plays great or he's god awful. Or you can watch a McDavid where he can score four goals or he has a lackluster game, but he might still score one and be in the picture. You'll notice him. McDa- uh, Matthews it doesn't have the speed of McDavid, doesn't do some of those things, so he's less noticeable. But I like that from him last night. 
less about the goal scoring, more about the overall game. That's what can win down the stretch. Because like I said, you work hard in the corners, you go get the pucks, you fight when you lose a puck, that will lead to victories. That could correlate to playoff success. You heard me right, playoff success, Leaf fans, even though you're allergic to it. That's what you want to see. Another thing for me last night, I thought Timothy Lilligren played really well. He did nothing flashy. If you looked at the box score, you wouldn't even notice he played. But I thought he looked confident. I thought he made good exit passes out of the zone. I liked that he jumped into the play. He didn't look tentative. He didn't look afraid. And last night was really the first game that I, I said, well, maybe this guy could be an NHL defenseman. And I, I like what I like him and Sandine as a pair. I and to be quite frank, you've won three in a row. And you know, prior to tomorrow night's game against Tampa, I'm not bringing Justin Hall back in the lineup yet. Now, this doesn't mean Justin Hall is in the doghouse the rest of the year because guess what? Toronto's going to lose a game. They could easily lose tomorrow night to Tampa Bay. But at the same time, keep you've got a winning, you got some winning ways. Marner's turned it around. He had three points last night. He looks like the guy that was one of the best wingers in hockey last year. Bill Nylander got off the schneid. He's out of that black hole. But I keep the defense pairs as is. I don't think that their defense is still very good. I think it's the biggest flaw on their team. They have good goaltending. Jack Campbell's very good. Um, and he, I, I like the way he's going. He's traject, you know, he's building up to being a number one goaltender. He deserves that opportunity. But I, I, I respect a ton of, of Nick Kiprios. And he does a new show called, I think it's Kipper and Born, a real Kipper and something else on Sourcenut. And I heard a little excerpt from him. Well, I get it. He's a big Jack Campbell fan. He seems to really pump his tires. Jack Campbell is not a number one goaltender yet. So if Peter Mrazek does start tomorrow night, that makes sense to me. Because, yes, Jack Campbell was very good last year in the regular season, had a historic run. But he wasn't the best in the playoffs. That goal, Gallagher in game seven, that can't go in. Scoreless second period. You need to make that save. I think the goal against Kakaniemi, he could have saved that shot. So he needs to continue to prove it, but I like the way he's going. He plays consistent every night. When they lost 7-1 to Pittsburgh, it wasn't because of him. It was because the team was pathetic. He hasn't really had a bad game this year. He hasn't had a stinker where the team has had to overcome it. So that's a positive step in the right direction for Jack Campbell as well. But I, I like the play of, of Toronto last night. It was a really impressive game. Again, I want to they play some big boys tomorrow. They got Tampa. Yeah, Kucherov's out, but you still have Braden Point. You still have the best defenseman in the NHL in Victor Hedman. You still have the best goalie in the league in Andre Vasilevsky. And you still that casting of cast of characters is still bringing it. You know, will we see a, a least tough guy go after Corey Perry last night for injuring John Tavares last year in the playoffs? Really hope not, because we already seen Nick Felino do something stupid last year. But maybe that'll be a storyline tomorrow, and I'll have to talk about it on Friday about how you know weak-minded that team really is. But we'll see. Also, last night, the Vancouver Canucks allowed two power play goals in the second period to Mika Zabinajad and Artemi Panarin. But they rally in the third period to come back and beat the New York Rangers, who start their three three-game Western road trip, Western Canadian road trip. And Vancouver's had a slow start, as I mentioned yesterday with Sheamus. They are not a team that's played great. I think Demko's been been very good so far this year. 
Uh, their defense is still in flux. Travis Hamanick returned last night, so he's a guy that they expect to be in the lineup uh, game in, game out. Uh, he's a good defensive defenseman, somebody they need. But last night, you're down 2 nothing. You've allowed two power play goals. And against New York, you're probably thinking it's over. But one thing I love about this team, and so far, because Pedersen's been quiet. Quinn Hughes has been okay. But, you know, their two big guys have just been fair. JT Miller has taken upon himself to be that dude again. He was a big reason why they made the playoffs two years ago and why they had success. They brought him in. He was kind of put it in the trade. He had a contract that nobody liked, but he was a huge emotional leader of the team. And last year was a tough year for him, but the COVID year, he kind of checked out mentally and it looked to phase him. We look at last night. He gets the, the first goal of minute 29 and a third, and he gets the overtime winner assisted by Quinn Hughes. So JT Miller being back is an X factor for the Canucks. If he can play consistent hockey, they, that makes them an exponentially better team. But another thing for Vancouver that, you, you know, Brock Besser, Shea mentioned, he's got three points in seven games. That's just not good enough. You know, Dickinson's got one point in eight. That's not good enough. Chase on is a guy Hoglander. I expect more from, he doesn't have a goal yet this season, but you look JT Muller's got 11 points in 10 games point per game player. You can't ask more from him. Tanner Pearson needs to give you more, but I look at, there are two additions. That would be their two big additions. That's Ekman Larson and Connor Garland. Connor Garland gets assists on both on the, the first goal of the game for Vancouver and the tying goal. And what's he done this year? He's just been a dog on the puck. He, he has three goals, seven assists. He's a point per game guy as well. He just works hard. He, he will go into the corners. Yeah, he might be the smallest guy on the ice, but he's got bite. He's a less skilled Brad Marchand but he plays with that edge. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's been a great find. I look at Ekman Larson. He's only got two points, but to me, he's fit very well. He's playing good hockey. Yes, you want more of an offensive output from him, but I also think because of his turmoil over the last couple of years, playing consistently on the defensive end is just as important. How do you look game in, game out? Do you look comfortable? Do you have a defensive partner that you trust? I think the offense will come for Ekman Larson. But I think the two additions, the two big additions, have been very solid to start the year. Garland, obviously better than, than Ekman Larson. But to anchor that back end with Quinn Hughes, that's important. And Ekman Larson, because he has Quinn Hughes in the back end, he doesn't have to put up as many points this year. Quinn Hughes is an offensive defenseman to the T. You know what his identity is. He's going to put up a lot of points. Where Ekman Larson can be that steady guy in the back end that you just trust. And he's there you know, game in, game out to be that, just that Stewart back there and not let too many things happen. Also last night, the Jets beat the Stars. Uh, you know, Tyler Sagan uh, ties the game. You know, they're down 3-1 late. He gets a goal uh, to make it 3-3. But a good moment where Mike Shifley returns from the COVID reserve. He scores the shootout. They're the gimmick winner, I should, I should add. Um, so good moment for him. Pierre-Luc Dubois. Gets another goal last night. Uh, you know, he's got seven on the season. You know, he's a Mur he's playing great hockey for Winnipeg. Another win for Winnipeg for them. The Preds beat the Flames. Um, you know, uh, I thought the Flames were a little loose last night with the puck. I watched the first period and a half of that game where 
you know, Duchesne gets a pair of goals, but I, I just didn't love their game as a whole. You know, Kachuk scores a power play goal from, from Monaghan. That's a positive, but uh, they're too loose in their own zone. Uh, great tip goal by Luke Cunning on Markstrom, but Markstrom continues to play well. I assume that they will bounce back in the not too distant future. But tonight we have a lot of good sports. Her, uh, you know, Hurricanes, Blackhawks, can with Chicago, who finally got a win on Monday against Ottawa, could they be the team to give Carolina their first loss? Boy, that would be something. Frederick Anderson, who is one of the three stars of the month, has a 129 goals against average and 956 save percentage and a shutout so far this year. So he's been dominant. Preds are on a back-to-back. They hit into Edmonton. Connor Ingram, the young Canadian starter who's played in the HL last number of years, he'll get the start for Nashville. He'll go up against Miko Koskinen. The 7-1 and one Edmonton Oilers are looking for another victory this evening. Colorado against uh, Columbus. We also got Blues Kings. And then in the NBA, a lot of interesting action. The Boston Celtics are two and five. Like I mentioned, they get the Orlando Magic tonight, who are two and six, one of the worst teams in basketball. But, you know, Mark, Marcus Smart, who is kind of a, a three and D guy, who he's a great defensive player. He'll make corner threes, but he's not a superstar by any means. Following a loss where they, they led by 16 late in the third quarter, they end up losing by 16 to the Bulls on Monday. He called out Jason Tatum and said that basically the whole team knows the ball is going to Jason Tatum and that Jason Tatum's not going to pass. So will this cause a rift? I didn't think they were a very good team before. I think they'll miss the playoffs, but they do got the magic tonight. We'll see how they can bounce back. The Raptors are off to a great start. No, no Scotty Barnes tonight, um, who's uh, out with a thumb injury. But they play the Wizards. They played them opening night. They lost. OG's playing well. Siakam may make his debut. You also got Hawks and Nets tonight. Both teams have four and three. Harden and Trey Young both struggling following the kind of the rule changes where neither of them are getting that many fouls. So we'll see uh, how they how they adjust to the to the new game right now. But a lot happening. Uh, uh, baseball's over, but we still got football. We still got hockey, basketball in full swing here. Um, I'll be back later tonight to talk to Walker Campbell. But for now, thank you guys all for tuning in. Really appreciate it as always, and we'll talk soon.